0: The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure bears fruit next year well and good but if not you can cut it down the word of the lord take a moment now for silent reflection
1: Gracious God, meet with us now, however we find ourselves in this room this morning. And help us to believe that you have something you want us to hear, something you want us to trust. Help us to know that you do see us right now in all of our beauty and all of our fragmentation. And your response is always to be with us, not apart from us to love us, to pursue us in love. And so help us now to be present to your presence with us. Give us open hearts, open minds. Give us grace to believe you love us as deeply as your son Jesus, displayed and taught. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, we definitely live in a world of what have you done for me lately? I mean, that really is the world we live in. It's the world you experience. It's the world that I experience. Preachers feel it big time, I can tell you right now. We work hard on a sermon all week, and then we come in here and we deliver it. It goes moderately well. Nobody throws anything. We go home on Sunday afternoon, and then it dawns on us about 3 in the afternoon, I got to do this again. I've got to think of sermon illustrations again. I've got to figure out this passage that's so weird again. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. All these other things. But you have the same things happening in your professions, right? You do well, but it's, what have you done for me lately? You know? And you get the reviews, and you get the evaluations, especially for those of you in academic circles. And you have to deal with teacher evaluations. That can't be easy, I don't imagine. I know you all live in that kind of world. An article was sent my way from a trusted news source this past week, (laughs) mcsweenies.com. It was a bit of a reminder that Jesus wasn't always pleasing everyone with what he said, as if him ending his life hung on a cross wasn't enough of a reason to think that he wasn't always received well. (laughs) And the name of the article is Selected Negative Teaching Evaluations of Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear some of these evaluations? Do you have a choice? I'm not sure you do. Very inconvenient class. Always holds lectures on top of mountains in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Never close to the main campus. (laughs) Inconsistent attendance policy. Said we had to be in class by 9 a.m. every day. Over half the class showed up late or didn't even attend, but we all got the same participation grade. (laughs) By week one, I was already tired of his anti rich, pro Samaritan BS. I wanted to take a course in Christianity, not liberalism. (laughs) It's a little close to. (laughs) Kind of absent minded. My name's Simon, and he's called me Peter for the entire semester. (laughs) Isn't that great? Doesn't respect students' time. A line of us had been waiting outside his office for over an hour. Finally, he showed up and said, and the last shall be first, and started seeing us in reverse order. (laughs) Made me late for work study. Don't take his class if you care about your GPA. Treats everything like pass-fail, only cares about if you're failing the class, so good luck getting that A minus up to an A. Won't give straight answers. I asked him if something was going to be on the test, and he said to me, you say that it will be, and stared at me with no expression. (laughs) I mean, come on, bro. (laughs) This is my favorite, this next one. Instructor is a drama queen. He stopped in the middle of a lecture to announce, one of you will betray me, right after I told him I was switching advisors. I reached out because I needed an extremely important last-minute letter of recommendation for a summer internship. He didn't get back to me for three days. Do your job, bro. One time, I'm almost done with this, by the way. One time I questioned one of his parents, excuse me, One time I questioned one of his points during discussion, and he made me put my fingers through his hand holes. (laughs) WTH. That's what the heck, because I'm not a cussing preacher, as you know. A complete joke. Only got the job because his dad is important. All right, that's it. (laughs) Productivity. You got to produce. Judging your output. It happens all the time. It's exhausting. I'll guarantee you that Jesus was exhausted. It's the nature of the life we live in. And here today we've got this story, a parable about a fig tree that's not very productive. What do we do with this fig tree? What do we do with this unproductive tree? And preceding it is a story about a couple of catastrophes. And honestly, I think these are definitely related. So let's look at the catastrophes first. Jesus is talking about events that were right out of headlines in the Jerusalem times. All right? You know, the headlines, number one, would have been, you know, Galileans slaughtered in the temple. That's what's going on here, featuring Pilate. But the Pilate is the governor that's so brutal that Emperor Tiberius removed him from office and recalled him back to Rome because of a genocidal engagement in a Samaritan village. You know, Pilate wanted to fund a public works project, an aqueduct, and it was gonna make him very popular. The people would love it, but he decided, yeah, this is a good thing, and it's a politically a good move, and the way I'm gonna pay for it is I'm gonna take temple funds and let that pay for my public works project. A misappropriation of funds. Wow. Still happening today. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. And people didn't like it. And apparently what we have is a a, a group of Galilean worshipers who protested, who caused a problem with this. And what did Pilate do? What Pilate always does, murders them. Thus the phrase, mingling their blood with the sacrifices. And there are no doubt people who thought they deserved this. These rabble-rousers, these people who are storing up, stirring up the hornet's nest and causing a problem, they're going to cause a problem for the rest of us. They got what was coming to them. And so Jesus responds to them. He says, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? And then Jesus answers his own question. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, change your mind, change your direction, change your whole trajectory... Unless you change your way of thinking, you will all perish as they did. Zinger. But Jesus has more. He's not done. He goes to bring up another headline. Tower collapses, killing 18. It is quite possible, most commentators think, that these are connected because these people were a part in some way in the Tower of Siloam were working on that very building project. And some people, no doubt, would be upset about this. See them as complicit in the oppression of Pilate. I'd imagine them taking, they took some heat for being part of that building project. Side note, this is part of the emotional toll that oppressed communities endure in having to make these kinds of decisions simply to survive. And when they die in this catastrophe, some are no doubt provoked to say, well, that was God's justice. They got what they deserved. And so Jesus asks a similar question. Do you think there were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? And of course, he goes on to answer his own question. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, change your mind, change your direction, change your trajectory altogether. Unless that happens, you will perish. And this is the important words here. Just as they did. Now, that's important. As they did. Other translations say, in the same way. What is the same way? That's the key. Jesus isn't talking about what happens to people when they die. This is not a repent or go to hell admonition. Rather, and he does this repeatedly, Jesus is making it clear that those who refuse his summons to change direction, to abandon the crazy fight into a national rebellion against Rome, will suffer the consequences. That Those who take up the sword will perish with the sword. Jesus warns Jerusalem against resorting to violence by telling them that if they don't rethink war and peace according to the kingdom of God, they're all going to die by Roman swords and buildings collapsing, which is exactly what happened a generation later. So Jesus' primary concern here isn't to unravel the mystery of God, but to tell them to reevaluate what Richard Rohr calls stinking thinking stinking thinking, that wants to take arms up into violence, that wants to find scapegoats to blame. And that's what's taking place here. There's got to be an explanation for this. My anxiety is going up. I want to believe that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, but sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes they happen to the best people, like Jesus, for instance. Now, before I talk about the fig tree parable, let me just apply this for a second. I'm wondering, have you turned, I mean, this is a sermon, or excuse me, this is a a story about people blaming others, but I wonder if you've also turned that stinking thinking on to yourself. Do you blame yourself for the crisis areas of your life that, truth be told, you don't really have a lot of control over? Have you gotten yourself caught in that kind of a feedback loop? I know I have. That you wouldn't have gotten cancer if you'd just been a bit more grateful, or smiled more, or worked out more, or eaten better. That you wouldn't have succumbed to addiction if you just could have projected more success or positivity, or just been a better person in general. That you wouldn't have a child dealing with depression or rebellion or any number of other things if you'd have just been a better parent. Oh, parents, the guilt, the guilt that we traffic in. If you just hugged them a few more times. That you'd be married by now, if that's what you desire, or had a better job by now, or made more money by now, or only, or, 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 if only I'd have done these things, I wouldn't have this going on right now. The beloved of God are not exempt from life, unfortunately, and all that it throws at us, and all the things that have happened to you that you didn't ask for that are not your fault. It's easy to be captive to the illusion that we are in some way responsible for things that otherwise are outside of our control. I think that too is stinking thinking. That's bad news for us and for our neighbors. Then Jesus tells a parable. Okay, let's get to that. About a fig tree in a vineyard. A fig tree that is unproductive. That would have been receiving a lot of negative feedback. <laughs> a lot of bad teacher evaluations. See, there is a tie-in to the opening illustration. There it is. Just give you were wondering. Jesus tends to read, the, I mean, Christians have a tendency, I think, to read into this, and they, they'll, they'll do is they'll say, well, this impatient landlord or landowner, this is God, and this is Jesus trying to assuage the God's wrath against Israel with a plea for divine patience. I'd make the case for you. That's what an American Christian would do with this story, but it's not what Jewish Jesus was thinking at all when he told this story, whether anybody listening to it would have thought. No Jew hearing Jesus' parable could have thought that the landowner was God. There's a law about trees. Trees actually have legal rights in Judaism. How about that? You can find it talked about in Leviticus 19, for example, which forbids the eating of the, of the, eating the fruit of a newly planted tree during their first three years of life. So if We have to assign roles, and we don't have to whenever we read parables. They're very tricky, and they're, very, they're an invitation to be very playful, actually. But if we have to assign roles, I don't think the landowner, the landowner isn't an angry god. I think the landowner is Caesar, or Herod, or Pilate, or all the murderous leaders of empire who destroy people and trees. The breakers of the law, the profiteers at the expense of God's creation effectively the rapists of the land of milk and honey. See, Jesus has another vision. It's not a vision of violently taking and destroying. It's a vision for his realm of God, the kingdom of God, is, 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 a, is a vision of patience, of tenderness, of cultivation, of care, of flourishing. It's the very opposite of the vision of empire which violently takes and patiently destroys and demands results now. If something's not producing fruit at empire, cut it down. The vision of Jesus does not exhaust. The vision of Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus fills. Fills. Now, to apply this, what if we look at ourselves in each of these parables a little bit? They invite that kind of playfulness in each of the players. Here's something to remember when we're talking about natural disasters and man-made ones. That those who are the worst hit by them, whether it's a tornado or climate change, whether it's a hurricane or warmongering tyrants, you know who pays the price for that the most? The vulnerable. The vulnerable. The poor. Maybe the call to bear fruit is the fruit of serving and protecting those communities in lie of the fact that, yes, catastrophes of all types regularly occur, and those vulnerable, marginalized communities are disproportionately impacted. For example, black folks in America have had several catastrophic things happen to them, 200 years of slavery. 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal, 35 years of racist housing policies, mass incarceration. These racist man-made catastrophes are meant to exhaust. And sometimes a tree doesn't produce the fruit that it has been subject because it has been subjected to an exhausting and overwhelming man-made catastrophe specifically designed to keep people in their place wounding the collective consciousness, not to mention squandering the possibility of creating any generational wealth that sets these communities back for generations. Reverend Larissa Kwong Abazia wonders why a fig tree is even in the vineyard in the first place. It's a good question. As a person of color, she sees herself as the fig tree, being asked to produce in a place that isn't designed for her flourishing. This is what she says. Many of us experience the world as a fig tree in the midst of grapevines. We're placed in fields not meant for us and yet expected to thrive. People discount and doubt us, threatening to cut us down if we don't produce in the ways that have been defined on our behalf. We are afterthoughts, demanded uh, to bear fruit or be destroyed. The story of the fig tree reminds us that the world's expectations do not need to be ours. The gardener puts their faith in that which they have no control digging a bigger hole and filling it with manure. They tend to the tree with everything it needs to grow into its purpose. Perhaps this means bearing figs, or maybe it provides shade for the laborers during the harvest, an opportunity for the gardener to tend to the fields in a new way, or a transformation of the owner's ability to see beyond the commodification of the land. A couple of questions. Who in your life right now Is living this kind of fig tree existence? Maybe it's you. Or maybe it's someone you know. Who needs to hear that they are worthy to be invested in, that they are worthy to be tended to and cared for, that the invitation of Jesus is the invitation to be cultivated to bear fruit, to grow into our purpose? Who has power right now in this room and listening online? Who needs to think about redirecting and using that power in such a way that everyone has a chance to survive and thrive? Or maybe you see yourself in the fig tree parable in this way. Maybe you see yourself as a fig tree in that I, always want, I want to be fruitful, but I often feel like I'm just not. I'm not improving. I'm not bearing fruit. I'm not seeing change. I, and the word that comes to mind is just unable. I feel unable right now. Unable to produce. Unable to make my life more spiritual. Unable to keep my house clean. Unable to keep up with emails. Unable to listen well. Unable to eat and drink with moderation. Unable to exercise like you'd hoped. Unable to be patient with your spouse or your children. Unable, unable, unable. We feel unable. And the vineyard owner sounds more like me, actually, being impatient than the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. Angry, impatient, wanting better results. Have you thought about the systems of this world that we are caught up in that has us evaluating the worth of people by how useful they are? Have you felt yourself being caught up into that very same vortex Have you become the kind of person that only calls people when you need something from them? When your name pops up on somebody's phone, do those people look at that and go, oh, they're calling because they need something? Instead, what would it mean for me and for you to take on the role of Jesus, the gardener? And that our lives would be marked by investing in other people. In listening, in cultivating. With the intention and the hope that they become everything that God has made them to be. Some of you do this every day already. As you invest in the lives of students, or patients, or clients. Customers, coworkers, children. Some of you do it right here every week. In fact, it's hard to invest in people unless we're together. So while I'm always really grateful for our online community, I'm also going to always push us to say, hey, we got to be together to really do this right, to do this as well as we can. Because I need to see your face and you see mine. So we need to invest in one another in embodied ways. In some ways, I kind of take comfort in this fig tree, since I feel like it. Reverend Sarah Speed wrote this little poem. She said, sometimes I wish I was the fig tree, because she doesn't produce, and she's not exhausted, and she probably gets eight hours of sleep at night. And her branches, unlike my shoulders, are not heavy with work, pulled toward the ground, threatening to break. And her trunk, unlike my spine, is not fighting to stand tall while holding it all together. Sometimes I wish I was the fig tree, because she knows what I forgot many years ago. You are still worthy, even if you don't produce. Worthy of cultivation. Worthy of being tended to. Worthy of getting help. Worthy of knowing your own story so that you're not always dragging everyone else around by your own feelings because you don't know where to park them. I need a gardener. I need an advocate. I need someone to come into my life and believe in me. I need a gardener to advocate for me, to, to dig around me. To fertilize me, to fertilize you. And to hear these words, let it alone, talking about the fig tree, let it alone for one more year. The the phrase, let it alone, is actually the same phrase that Jesus uses on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Isn't that fascinating? Let it alone. Forgive for one more year, for one more year. I like that it says for one more year. Like it has to happen again. And it has to happen again. So one more year, friends, for the gardener to cultivate in your life peace. To prune, to to fertilize, to see us bear fruit. Now that's an easy application. We're meant to bear fruit, but we are not meant to be dehumanized production machines. So, what kind of fruit is God calling you to bear in the coming year? Because Jesus is tending the garden of your soul. What will be the result? One more year to do what needs to be done. One more year to use your privilege and power to serve the least of these. One more year for you to finally actually round the corner on believing that you actually are God's beloved child. One more year to trust God more than your money. One more year to forgive someone. To forgive yourself one more year to lay down your judgment one more year to put your mistakes behind you one more year to surround yourself with people who are for you in the best sense of the world word one more year to finally do the interior work of getting to know yourself and your story with a good therapist one more year to feed here at the table of God's grace one more year to be enriched by the story of Jesus. One more year to help somebody else to play the role of gardener in the lives of others. One more year. Jesus is always saying one more year. And he's always saying, let it alone. He says it every year. He says it right now. You are worthy and I will cultivate fruit in you in a way that brings you life, not exhaustion. and friends, with everything we know about Jesus in another year when he comes around and we're not exactly brimming with fruit what do you think Jesus is going to say? Together one more year. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us today to trust that this is all true. Help us to see that you come to us as a gardener to tend and cultivate, not to pluck up and destroy. Your patience is not our patience. Thank the Lord. Your love is not fickle like ours. You're not tapping your feet, wondering what's taking us so long. You are here to walk with us. Give us grace to believe that today, we pray.